0: Our scripture reading today comes from John chapter 4, verse 27. It's only one verse. Um, it's I'm gonna be on page 901 of your Pew Bible. Again, that's John 14, verse 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, Neither let them be afraid. May God bless the reading of his word. I now invite Minister Taylor up. As John the Baptist said, may I decrease and him evermore increase. (laughs) Peace be with you, brothers and sisters. Peace is a very interesting topic. Many times uh, at church, whenever a presider would come out to greet the service, we'd open that uh, greeting with, peace be with you, and the response would be, and also with you. In our Chinese service, that is also a very frequent uh, greeting, and in uh, Jewish context as well, it's very common to say, Shabbat Shalom, uh, you know, the, the peace, the shalom on the, the Sabbath, or our Muslim brothers and sisters, or friends, rather, uh, will frequently greet one another, Assalamu Alaikum. and that same root, you hear the salam is from that same root that we see in Hebrew of shalom that idea of peace. Well, my main point today is that Jesus brings us an already but not yet peace in which we must embrace as we await the consummation of that peace. So let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we give you thanks. We give you thanks that the Lord has come and that we have a peace. In Jesus we proclaim to come once again as we await the full realization of that peace. Give you thanks and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. For a season, there were a lot of articles going around, especially on social media, uh, about Gen Zs and millennials kind of going a different way on the workforce. They would change from your typical high-pressure, high-paying corporate jobs uh, to take jobs that were a little bit more leisurely. Uh, Either jobs that they found were something that the work itself would provide more meaning or a work that would provide a better work-life balance so that they could devote their time to the things that they wanted to devote to. We seek meaning and we want the things that we devote our time to, to not be a waste of time. We even see this in scripture that it says, you know, make the best use of the time because the days are evil. And so we long to do something with our time. I think in many of these ways, this desire is actually a longing for the peace, but we're going to get to that in a moment. We can also see it, and if you're on TikTok like me, and I don't know what the algorithm decides to show me all the time, but you know, I, I see people who have taken uh, expats, so Americans who have taken like remote jobs and then have moved overseas to places that is a more chill lifestyle to get away from the hustle and bustle of the grind all the time. They talk about you know some of the people move to somewhere in Europe that's like really cheap, but you know. Cheap, at least, compared to American standards. And when you have an American job and American salary, even if it's less than our standards, if you go to other places, you can live a lot off of that. Or they go to the Caribbean or something like that. And they talk about uh, how life is better in the slower pace. We see this dynamic. And I wonder if in 20 years we're going to see an opposite dynamic of people saying, well, maybe that wasn't the answer either. But time will tell. Uh, This kind of ethos that we see in our culture is exhibited by uh, some quotes that we see. Uh, Jim Carrey from Saturday Night Live. I don't know if you youth uh, still watch SNL, but it was a popular thing once upon a time. Uh, But he was a prominent actor who achieved success. And he said, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so that they can see that is not the answer. So, we see in our culture both a hustle and bustle to achieve, to be successful in order to find meaning. And then we kind of see a reaction against that, especially amongst those who maybe have achieved to say, hey, that's not the answer. That's not going to fill us. I've shared this with the youth before, but growing up, Uh, I've always had a lot of struggles with depression, and especially as a teenager and even coming to Christ and after becoming a Christian, I had deep seasons of darkness, deep seasons of depression. And one of the things that I felt at the same time was a sense that something was missing in my heart. You know, I was like, hey, you know, I'm following Jesus. I see these Christmas hymns of joy to the world, the Lord has come. I know the gospel. I'm like, man, this this should give me meaning. This This should fill my life. I felt like something was missing. And so as a teenager, I hypothesized, well, I'm lonely. What must be missing is a wife to come alongside me. And I love my wife very dearly, but one thing that I know is that she is not meant to fill that hole that I felt in my heart. There's often that cliche that that we all have a God-sized hole hole in our heart that only God can fill. But why is it then when we embrace the gospel, when we live for Jesus, we frequently still have the same meaning, or the, the, the same longing rather, that we feel like something in our heart is missing? We will do the same things that society does of working ourselves down to the bone in order to try to fill that thing that's missing. Or sometimes we will uh, try to kind of pull back from that. You know, as a church, we're talking about Sabbath culture, right? And then maybe it's the opposite thing that's going to fill us. It's not going to be doing more, but it's actually going to be doing less. I think there's wisdom to that. There's wisdom to both aspects both parts are we, we see in scripture of both working hard but then also finding rest but I, I read a book one time that that talks that kind of talked about this dynamic and he, he said in, in the book that basically that our longing is we are longing for Shalom we are longing for peace and he said that there's something in the human condition that remembers what it was like, in the Garden of Eden. Even though we weren't physically there, but there's something in the human condition that we've inherited from Adam and Eve that remembers what it is like to walk with God in peace without the effects and stains of sin. And our hearts are longing for that peace again. And so we try to fill it. Well, where does that bring us to in this sermon? Well, as I was saying Jesus brings us an already but not yet peace, which we must embrace as we await the consummation of that peace. Uh, Throughout the Advent Sermon Series, we'll be going through the the Sabbath culture, Uh, and so today we're going to be talking about peace and particularly about rest and kind of how how those dynamics uh, play itself out. So even in our passage today, Jesus declares that he gives us his peace, but what does that mean? And what rest can we find in Jesus's peace, in the peace that Jesus gives us? So the gifts of Jesus come, but they come in an already-but-not-yet fashion. And so I have two simple points today. First one is, Jesus gives us peace but it is an already-but-not-yet peace. Christmas is a paradox in which we hold two things simultaneously together that seem like they should not go together. On the one hand, we hold the joy. Joy to the world, the Lord has come, right? Uh, Tis the season to be jolly, our secular pagan culture borrows, right? Uh, Joy, on the one hand, in the Christmas season, but on the other hand, we have this longing, a, a sort of sense of looking forward, and we know that we're looking forward for, for Jesus to come back again. But like in the midst of this, like, and we're in this Christmas season, it's like, we don't know what to do with this, right? It's confusing to, at the, on the one hand, to feel joy, and on the other hand, to feel longing. Like, it doesn't feel like they should come together, right? It's a, it's a paradox of a sense. So theologians will talk about this concept of inaugurated eschatology or, uh, I don't know, a beginning in times theology. But basically what it means is this already but not yet. And so remember that, already but not yet. And so we have this paradox that is Christmas because we live in an age of already but not yet. There are two other examples that I could think of that kind of plays a similar thing, a similar paradox where we have to hold two things together that seemingly don't go well together. One example is whenever we lose a loved one who was an Advent follower of Jesus, the loved one passes away because of whatever reason, and we know that that person is with the Lord, we know that that person has gone on to glory, that they are no longer experiencing the sufferings of this present world, and we can rejoice at a life that was lived for the glory of Jesus, a life that was lived in the joy of Jesus. And we can celebrate that life because they're in a better place, right? That's, that's a cliche that we often say, but, it, but it's true. Our loved ones have gone on if they are following Jesus and they are in a better place, and so we can rejoice at that. But for us who have lost someone dear, even if someone dear is a follower of Jesus, we know that there is very real loss that comes at the same time. We have joy and celebration. We have grief and sorrow hand in hand in the same experience. Another maybe more lighthearted experience, youth. Many of you are about to go off to college. A lot of seniors here. And whenever you leave for college, I, like, I don't know, I'm not in your shoes, but, but I, I can remember, like, back to whenever I left for Bible college, and so I didn't go through the regular thing of, like, high school and stuff, because I was homeschooled, so I, like, worked a few years afterwards. But when I left my, my home, where I had a community with the church, and I left out of state to go to Bible college and seminary, like, I kind of experienced this as well. There's the excitement that college will bring. There's the excitement of a new life, a new city, a new place, new community, new friends, all the things that you're going to be learning. And so there's, there's this excitement, right? But at the same time, there's frequently grief because there is a very real loss Of the life that you're leaving behind, you're never gonna have that again. What you have right now, it's never gonna be here again. And so, like, for me, I I knew, like, whenever I left for, for Bible college, I could always come back. When we come back, it won't be the same thing. And so, grief is a confusing thing, right? So, whenever we lose a loved one, we can rejoice over their life lived. For Christ and that they're in a better place, but there's grief and sorrow and the loss. When we move, when life seasons change, we can rejoice because the excitement of what is to come. but yet there's also loss, because what we're leaving behind, a paradox of longing and joy. We should experience the paradox of Christmas of both the longing and the joy because of this inaugurated eschatology, this already but not yet. As Jesus says in our passage, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. If Jesus has given us his peace, if this is true, why is peace oftentimes so fleeting from us? Why is rest so hard to find? To answer, we need to go all the way back to the beginning, back to the Garden of Eden as we find the intersection of peace, rest, and vocation. Interesting fact, what, what vocation was Adam? Does anybody know? I can think about that. Adam was a gardener. If we look back to Genesis 2.15, It says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And so before the fall, mankind had a job to do. Adam was to work and keep the garden. But it was a different kind of work than the work that we experience today because, again, it was a work of shalom. It was a work of when he was walking in peace, when mankind was walking in peace with the Lord unstained from sin. They, they had a job to do, very clearly right here. He was to work it and keep it. And so there's this picture of Adam and Eve working in the garden. They have a task to do. They have peace. But, of course, something happened. And so you can kind of, you know, take a caveat to that and, and wonder, like, why is it that we look for so much in our work? Like, why is it that we think that work should be fulfilling and satisfying? And so, again, we can point back to God's design with Adam and Eve, and it's like, well, God created us to work like we're supposed to, but sin marred work like sin marred and changed everything else. But Adam in the garden had work. He he had a job to do, and he had peace with God in that task. And of course, that also comes in the context of creation in which we know that God rested on the seventh day. But what went wrong? Of course, we know something terribly went wrong and distorted that peace that Adam had, that rest and that meaningful labor of that gardening work. In Genesis 3, when Adam disobeyed God, part of the curse of sin is that labor would become toilsome. Of course, it's, it's easy to look at the, the consequences of sin, and oftentimes we focus on all the pains of childbirth. But here in 17 and 19, we see that our work is also cursed because of sin. So Genesis 3, 17 and 19, it says this, "'Because you have listened to the voice of your wife "'and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, "'you shall not eat of it. "'Cursed is the ground because of you. and pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life.'" Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat of the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of the out of it you were taken, and to dust um, you shall return. Now, in the context, of course, we know that that Adam was a gardener. But as we hear that your work is going to produce thorns and thistles, not fruit, like the implication is. Our works today is going to produce futility, is going to be hard because of the curse of sin we see all the way back in Genesis. I don't know if you've ever tried to, to garden something before. Uh, it's not nearly as easy as what you would think. Um, when I was young, my family had like a farm, my grandparents had a farm, and after my grandfather became too old to plant things, I was like, oh, hey, one year, I was like, oh, hey, I'm going to plant corn. Uh, and then we're going to have corn still, and it did not go well. (laughs) I think we ended up, like, I planted, like, three rows. I probably spent, like, 20 hours working on tilling the ground and stuff, and, like, there's a storm that came over and, like, knocked all the plants over, and then I didn't do a good enough job. I I made all kinds of mistakes, but anyway, my point is, it's not easy, and thorns and thistles are the example of it not being easy. But, you know, just just hear that. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread. Your work is going to be hard. So your work today is hard because of the curse of sin. Now, we have all kinds of different professions here, right? Um, And so whatever it is, the the example here is the thorns and the thistles. By the sweat of your face, it's going to be burdensome. But that curse applies not only as a gardener, but also in whatever profession that we have. Uh, interesting side note, if I had three hours to dive into this concept of the garden and peace and the gardener, there's, there's a lot there in theology that talks about those themes. But I'll just give you one little interesting nugget uh, to mention. In John chapter 20, verses 11 through 16, uh, Jesus was already crucified, and Mary stood outside the tomb weeping. And so Jesus was already crucified, he was buried, but he, but he had already risen. And so I'll read uh, these five verses. It says, But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, on one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. So Mary, encountering the risen Lord, uh, before she realizes it's hymns, supposes he's the gardener. And N.T. Wright notes, it wasn't after all such a silly mistake for Mary to think that Jesus, the true Adam, was the gardener. Because the first Adam also was the gardener. But Jesus was the Perfect and true example of the new humanity, the new and true and greater Adam. Hope you guys found that interesting. Second thing, so first thing, just to, to recap: Jesus gives us a peace, but it is an already but not yet peace. So, what must we do? What must we do uh, in response to that? We must embrace the already but not yet. Sorry, I don't have projection behind me today. If we go back to the tendency of our culture to understand how success will not bring us peace and the desire to find it in a more simple life. If we go back to that, I think both the drive and grind for success and the desire to find more meaningful work even at the expense of lesser pay or lesser benefits uh, or to the retreat of a different country that embraces a more simplistic lifestyle So the desire for success and the desire for simplicity both get some things right and get some things wrong. We're probably familiar with some passages, but Scripture tells us that we should make the best use of our time because the days are evil. To live a life worthy of the gospel to which we have been called and pronounces many warnings against laziness. Youth, I'm sure your parents are probably pretty familiar with quoting these passages to you to encourage you to study and work hard, you know, as a church also, like, we, we value hard work, right? And so this is something that we, that we preach. Make the best use of the time. You know, don't be lazy. Don't be a sluggard. Um, and so I'm sure we're familiar with that, but Scripture also tells us to pray for all people that we would lead a peaceful and quiet life. Scripture also tells us, as much as it depends on you, be at peace with all. Scripture values both hard work and a peaceful and restful and quiet, simplistic life. And so, in other words, again, both of these tendencies get some things right, but I think in both cases, they also fall short or miss something. And so, for the, the rest of this, as I encourage us to embrace the already but not yet, I'll speak more towards uh, the direction of we, we tend to work too hard uh, rather than the, the other side, just because that's also aligned with what we 're trying to do in building a Sabbath culture. Um, and so what is what does rest look like? And I think it is rest and Sabbath is more than simply stopping doing things right it 's more than just not doing things it's not less than that, but it is more than that. What is our motive behind the drive? For success, or our desire for simplicity. If our motive is our motive ultimately to benefit ourselves, or is it to honor God? Although there are pitfalls on either side of this, again, I think we have a lot to learn on the side of uh, working hard. Working in the drive to do something with our lives is a good thing, but a good thing becomes a bad thing when a good thing becomes an ultimate thing, as Tim Keller said, a good thing becomes a bad thing when a good thing becomes an ultimate thing. When we are more concerned with doing things for God than being with God, our work is marred. Why can't we find satisfaction in our work? Why doesn't it satisfy us? It's because the ground in our labor is cursed to be brought forth by the sweat of our brow, and through all that hard work, we still bring forth weeds and thistles. So how can we experience the peace of Jesus? As I've been trying to say this sermon, we will not fully experience peace in this life. We will not fully experience it in this life. But we can experience a glimpse of it. We can experience a piece of it as we, a piece piece of the peace as we await for the full consummation of it. So, how do we embrace an already but not yet peace from Jesus? There's a few things I would say. First, I would say embrace and live by the gospel. Our world places a lot of burdens on us. Our world places a lot of burdens on us. Whether that is the drive to success, that we must work as hard as we can to distinguish ourselves and be a well rounded person to stand out or to make the right connections. Or we must be a good parent. We must also find good rhythms of rest. We must recycle and care for the environment and participate in other social activism. We must care for the next generation and invest in our kids and and the younger people and be a mentor. We must do this and do this and do this. And and our culture puts so much pressure on us. It's a really great uh, sermon at T4G a couple years ago. I talked about the, the peace of justification and how our culture is a very legalistic society of placing all these burdens that we must do. And if we fail to do these things, then we'll be canceled. The gospel provides us another way. Jesus says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. So embrace the gospel, not that says do but a gospel of Jesus that says, I have done, that Jesus has done and accomplished it for us. Jesus sets us free from the heavy burden, the heavy burden of the law, the heavy burden of even the things that our society holds us to. So embrace and live by the gospel. Another thing I would say is admit and live by our limits. I love Isaiah and his call Uh, I think it's Isaiah 6. And a lot of times we focus on Isaiah and things like missions conference, and, and that's the famous verse where God's like, who will I send? And Isaiah's like, here I am, send me Lord. And we focus on that. But I love Isaiah not simply because of Isaiah's willingness, but also what comes next. Because God tells him, God tells Isaiah that you are going to go and preach to a people who are not going to listen to you their hearts are not going to be changed, and they're going to ignore you. And Isaiah says, how long, O Lord? And then God answers them, until the entire cities are laid desolate, until my judgment is complete. So Isaiah's called to go and preach. And he says, here I am, Lord. And then God says, you're going to go preach, but nobody's going to listen to you, and I'm going to judge all of them with the external enemy and send them into exile. But we can learn something from that. Admit and live by our limits. Know, even in some of the most important things that we may devote ourselves to, of sharing the gospel, of evangelizing to our friends and family members, know that it is our job to say, here I am, send me. It is our job to preach the gospel, but it is God's job to bring about the fruit. We might see that fruit Or we might have the plight of Isaiah. I hope by the grace of God we can see fruit and we can rejoice as though would those come to Christ. But know our limits. And of course there are so many other implications of where we can say, admit and live by our limits. Another thing that I would say is uh, be content with the waiting. Life won't be instantaneous. Instagram might, maybe. But... We have to wait. And so be content and embrace the waiting. A lot more that could be said in that as well. But I think this next one kind of gets at that. Rejoice for the already, but cry out and lament for the not yet. Look for opportunities where we can rejoice in very real ways because there is joy to the world because the Lord has come but at the same time, cry out and lament for the not yet. Go before the Lord. Cry out, how long, O Lord? Both of these are appropriate. Having a prayer journal is a a great practical way that you can do this because you can look at and you can see how God is still alive, living, and working in our lives, and we can rejoice when the Lord answers our prayer, even if it's 3, 4, 10 years, 30 years down the road. And we can rejoice in the already when we have those opportunities to rejoice. But then, of course, we should also cry out and lament for the not yet. As we rejoice in the already and cry out for the lament, cry out and lament for the not yet, as we live in this dynamic of where peace has been brought forth in the already, but as we wait for it to come in its fullness, we also must resist the urge to make good things God things. There's a footnote back to Keller, a little bit of what I said earlier. In the already but not yet, we are prone because we don't like to wait or we don't understand what God is doing. We are prone to find idols to try to fill our heart. That idol can be anything from video games to ministry to our work, our success, to pornography. I mentioned video games, social media, status, any of these things. Many of these things are good things, right? Serving in church is a good thing, right? But a good thing can become a God thing. And if a good thing becomes a God thing, it has become an idol, What I mean by that is when that's the ultimate thing in which we serve, when our life serves that idol, when rather than good things, maybe food, rather than those good things serving us, we serve it and we live for it. At that point, the good thing has become a God thing. And so sometimes we become impatient, and so we find substitute idols to fill ourselves. Last thing I'll say is make Christ and the gospel our legacy rather than our own name. Cool. There's a quote that I committed to memory a long time ago in seminary about legacy in the gospel, and I never knew much about the quote other than remembering it. Uh, But for the sermon, I, I thought I would quote it, and so I did a little bit more research. So the quote is, preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. The quote comes from Nicholas Ludwig Count von Zinzendorf. (laughs) He was uh, a prominent figure in the Moravian Reformation and Revival. I realize that none of us probably have heard of the Moravian Reformation or Revival unless you are a church history nerd, but maybe that serves to illustrate the point that they lived by this quote, perhaps. The group is known for its spiritual fervor and missions work. One of the Moravian churches, the Hearn Hut Congregation, which never exceeded 300 people, began an around-the-clock prayer meeting in 1727 that, was, that astonishingly continued for over 100 years. The constant prayer vigil was a significant factor in the Moravian Church's missionary zeal and effectiveness. The Moravians, under the leadership of Count Nicholas Ludwig von Zinzendorf, became the first Protestant church body to engage actively in mission work. In just 25 years following the revival, they sent missionaries to nearly every country in Europe and many indigenous tribes in North and South America, Asia and Africa. More than 100 missionaries were sent out by the small village community, which was more than what the whole Protestant church had accomplished in 200 centuries and 2 centuries prior. One of the most remarkable aspects of the Moravian missionary movement was their approach. For example, some Moravian missionaries voluntarily sold themselves into slavery to better connect and minister to slaves. The spirit of sacrifice and dedication exemplified the the depth of their commitment to spreading the gospel. Oftentimes we try to find meaning and peace by looking inward. But the gospel calls us not to look inward and try to make a great name for ourselves, but to find our purpose, to find our peace, to find our rest in looking outward. And so, of course, there's more to be said, but preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. Let us find the peace that is in that message. Let's pray. Jesus, we praise you in the already. We praise you that you have come down from your glory to be one of us, to enter into a world of oppression, poverty, war, a broken world stained by sin in every way. But Jesus, you came not despising the cross, but you came in love, not to be served, but to serve and give your life as a ransom for many. And so we praise you and we thank you that you rose from the dead as the first fruits of knowing that you will bring to fulfillment that peace that you have already brought. Lord, meet us in our waiting and our longing in this already but not yet season. We pray in Jesus' name.